You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue Q line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit Tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Welcome to the Hunt of Ore podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 80, Field Care and Meat Care with Travis Stockstill. On this episode of Huntivore, Nick calls up Travis Stockstill, member of Team USA Butchering and the host of the Meat Block Podcast, to talk about field care and prepping your carcass for better meat quality. Using his expertise from over a decade in the butcher's trade, he gives some tips and tricks hunters can use, whether it's taking your animal to the processor or having a DIY butcher job in your garage. If you are a fan of geeking out over meat, this is an episode for you. Well, hey, folks, beautiful afternoon here in Michigan. Storms have rolled through. Cleanup has begun. And, uh, yeah, we're living with less humidity, but we're, we're still feeling the temps, which is, which is good because summer's not over. But 
but the time you're here in this summer will be over. It'll be September and we will be in the midst of getting ready for the big kickoff. I mean, waterfall will have already started and we're going to be gunning up for, or I should say gearing up. We're going to be getting our bows final checks for whitetail uh, guys out West are be heading for elk and we're going to be ready to be able to bring that game down. But instead of thinking about the shot, we got to think about after the shot. We got to be thinking about what to do with that down animal. We're going to be bringing that carcass home, and we want to make sure that we get the best out of that valued meat there. So I thought it would be a grand opportunity to bring in a guru with a knife, to bring in the guy who is the host of the Meat Block podcast. He is a team member on the USA Butchering Team. I am here with Travis Stockstill. Travis, thank you so much for giving an hour this afternoon. Is there really a USA butchering team? Uh, yeah. Um, first off, am I coming in clear? Oh, you sound wonderful. All right. Um, Buttery good. I tell you what, those deep, the deep baritone you got going on. This is very yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, I get compliments on TikTok. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, there is a um, United States butcher team. Um, I'm one of six Americans. I had the I was invited to try out and did head to head uh contest with a good friend of mine, Brian Mayer. Um, and we both ended up making the team. There's six of us plus an alternate and a apprentice uh junior uh butcher. And it started off I you know, the World Butchers Challenge was a friendly competition like um uh, over a decade ago, just between Australia and New Zealand over a bottle of, I think, scotch. It was. It's a friendly competition started between Australia and New Zealand, and it's just mm. blown up into this huge event. Yeah. So we get, so we get three hours, 15 minutes to break down a side of beef, a side of pork, one lamb, and five chickens into 100% added value product. We are graded on the finished cuts, our creativity, how well we work within the team, as well as um, how clean we are at the end, how our bones look, how our aprons look. Uh, you know, did he utilize as much as he could? That's incredible. So you, even though there's a strict regimen of where cuts have to be made, um, because in the domestic world, you have parameters on each cut that's that's cut. You per this rib, you have to cut here, or this joint has to be joined with with this joint, and so that's where you have to make your incision. It's just not a not a hack job here, or where you just get to make stuff up. You got to follow the protocol, but at the same time, like you said, gel with the team and get all that accomplished. Yeah, and. One thing we're actually, I'm getting a weird feedback, so hold on. It, well, we practice like you would, like if you were a football team, that everyone has a role. So when we get there, we, we have routine practices. I'll fly down to Sacramento. Brian Mayer will fly out from Hawaii. And Kevin McCann will fly out from um, New York. And then we get to, to practice through time trials. And we've all, you know, right now, uh, we had to take a break because, from the because of the pandemic but we were seeing our menu and what we were going to put out there um and we're really looking forward to getting to practice again 
and meeting up and rebuilding those relationships that we had. Excellent. Excellent. So did the event happen this year or was it postponed? It's uh, postponed until okay. August 2022. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we got a little while. So good. I'm glad we didn't miss anything because I, I was. I saw that you had joined the team and I saw that things were assembling. Started watching a bunch of the, the world butchering stuff. And then, I, yeah, that was just like, wait, where, when did it happen? You know, I'm just sitting at home waiting for <laughs> watching like everybody else. So no, it's good to know that that's been at least pushed off. You guys got more time to practice. That is super cool. And I mean, I think I saw the tagline is it's like the Olympics of butchering and anything here in the United States, whatever event it is, I have always seen our nation just step up and be the craziest fans and be all about uh, the athletes that are out there. So I'm hoping that picks up now that we can be representing the U.S. in the right way that we come out with a bunch of fan crazies and uh, cheer you guys on. Yeah, it's going to be at the Golden One Arena in Sacramento. So there, there's room for fans um, and it's going to be awesome. There's, you know, the first time America entered the competition, there was they were competing with uh, 12. Uh, it was 12 nations total. And there, America entered it in late with someone formed a team. It it's incredibly hard to get fundraising to do all the practices, and then you got to fly out to where the competition is. And then it was in Belfast. Uh, the next one's in Sacramento, so that's easy. Nice and, home turf. <laughs> yeah, and they um, and the American team placed uh, six out of twelve, and they were happy with that. And like, you know, everyone certainly wants to win, but I just feel super, like, thankful that I even had the opportunity to try out and that I'm just on the team. Um, that being said, false modesty, I still want to win, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. And go going with what you were talking about, like, you were just super grateful to be there. Um, I mean, you're rubbing shoulders with the industry's finest. Um, talk about the... the, the the total wave where you come in and you have a knowledge base that is just exploded that you've got guys that have been in the profession for a seriously long time. They, they have new ways of doing things or they're, they're bringing back old ways. What a great time to just has as a bunch of butchers, as a bunch of meat cutters get together and just be like, we are going to fine tune our craft to mm -hmm. the utmost that it can be. So I'm glad to see that it's still a, a friendly competition is the prize still a bottle of bourbon, or has it gotten more than that? Well, you get a a, a trophy uh, that's presented by uh, Frida Dick, which is a knife company that is the main sponsor of the event. And then you get bra bragging rights. There's a gala dinner, uh, which is like a real fancy-looking dinner. Um, and it, it it's real different than what... So, like, other countries have, like... Australia and Germany and a lot of other European countries have a, a apprenticeship journeyman master butcher series where you, two years of uh, education until you become a journeyman and then you get a master's degree in uh, food safety or meat science and then at, you know then you can consider yourself a master butcher after and then only master butchers are allowed to train apprentices. Um, 
and we don't have that structure here. So like it, it's, I don't know. I always, uh, you know, view ourselves as like the, the misfits or the, the, the little rascals of the industry, <laughs> but, um, it, but we're, we're certainly, you know, well-rounded as a team, uh, uh, there's generational butchers. There's people who are on the team that were still around when America did, uh, apprenticeship programs back when there was uh meat cutters unions back when companies um leaned into the education before people were so far removed from their uh protein source or you know from the farm aspect and everyone on the team has worked with whole car uh carcass and worked with you know specializing in utilization we have people who you know like half the team owns their own butcher shop the other half <clears throat> work in like the slaughter and harvesting part of the industry that also includes like breaking lines and all the way to like retail specifications. Yeah, that was looking looking at that. I've, I've talked to a few guys over in England and you see where that program you're talking about, where it's almost like becoming an electrician or a plumber here in the United States, where, yeah, you've got two years of education that by the time you become that journeyman, like you are well-rounded in that. My upbringing with, with breaking animals, I, I grew up on a, on a poultry farm at about seven, I was handed a pinner and I was mm -hmm. pinning feathers and then, you know, eight or 10, now I'm taking off wingtips and, and drumsticks, you know, and it's, you know, that kind of that kind of upbringing i didn't have anything formal it was just like well here's a knife you know yeah. sharper the knife the less you're going to cut yourself if you don't want to get bloody point to a buddy <laughs> and so, yeah. so that's like that was my education and that's kind of how it is in in cut houses right now or like in in your setup a guy comes in like man I, I just need a job and well here you go here's a knife yeah and that's how, how i certainly got into it um i was a journeyman tile setter um and then the 2008 uh, market collapsed and i was finding myself needing work and i yeah i was living in southern california i was like traveling um a lot and it got really clear like oh money's gonna run out so my brother was living in vermont and he was working at a a slaughterhouse that did beef lamb goats pigs and then chicken on friday so a he said give me two years of your life i'll make you into a career butcher and i reluctantly flew over there and uh, left southern california for vermont in the middle of winter and it was uh it, it there was a a definite change like i for for about a, a year i just viewed it as more or less a job um until the company i was working for started investing in um humane handling certifications and HACCP certifications um then i realized oh this is a this is going to be a career um and my first day, uh, my brother handed me a captive bolt and uh, took a, what do you call it, a hide marker and marked on the spot of a 
Holstein's head and said, just knock it right there. And that's certainly not how I recommend anyone to learn that. Um, and I did it. And that was my introductory into USDA animal harvesting. Holy smokes. Hey, mm-hmm. here's a 1200 pound animal. Drop this thing right here and we'll get to work. Yeah. And everyone's staring at you too. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. The whole floor stops, all the air saw stop. Um, and then the, the added part of that story is uh, afterwards, uh, someone stuck it because I didn't know where to stick it. It was all shackled up and hanging up. And then someone sticks in like uh, all these blood vials to collect blood for sampling and then starts handing them out to everyone who's standing around. It's like, all right, whenever there's a new guy who knocks, we all take a shot. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. And then like, I was like, you're joking, right? And then I could tell very seriously that the person was not joking so like all right one two three we all cheers and then i was the only one who drank it so. <laughs> oh man that i mean tell you that is <laughs> yes that is a trial by fire and a guzzling of blood vial that mm-hmm. you were able to to join into the brotherhood the guild of of becoming a butcher that's an that's an incredible story um I guess I don't have anything nearly that intense. Uh, there were very colorful folks in the back back room, and that's where I kind of got my start there in the back room. So here I am in middle school cleaning up uh, feathers that got pushed onto the floor from the plucker. And, of course, mm-hmm. there's one of the older older veteran guys, and he's like, oh, you got some you know shit on your hat. So he grabs my hat and dunks it in the scalder. Oh, back no. on my head and he's like there that'll clean it all up oh and i'm standing awful. by the door and it's just like yeah this intense hot and then cold and just yeah it you never walk out of there dry and so it was i i don't i feel you but at the same time i think you definitely had a, a harder uh entry into the whole the whole thing <laughs> and now i'm just thinking so like we when i used to slaughter chickens we'd use like a um electric knife that like i don't know if you've seen those uh where like you touch it to their temple their eyes close and then you uh then you slit their throats um but like i discovered like the person who's taking them off the shackles and putting them in the scalder that like if you timed it right you could just touch the knife to the the rail and just shock that person down (laughs) that's the best (laughs) so (sighs) These are those tips and tricks that we need as we as we continue on. Yeah. Um, man, I feel like we could we could break into a lot of this, but I want to make sure we stay focused because um, we, we've got we've got a big job ahead of us. We're gonna be we're gonna be killing animals not via um, electricity, not via atmospheric stunning, but we're gonna be going through the idea of, of, of shooting an animal either with a gun or a bow and having to deal with it. Um, I guess on, on your end, have you ever hunted or being on the West coast? I assume you've done your fair bit of fishing. Yeah. So I, um, I've personally never hunted. I have not nothing against it. Like I, I plunked, like I've, I've shot coyotes for, because protecting fields and things like that. Um, and I, I own, you know, couple 30-06, couple, you know, um, like a Beretta duck gun. And I just 
one don't have time especially now that i'm a father exactly and, exactly um but i i've taken you know long shots on dozens of domestic animals um and but i do go fishing i live uh on the shores of the peach at sound and i go crabbing i go uh fishing uh i'm friends with a lot of uh tribal uh, gill netters and tribal uh fishermen and women who so year round i could get access to amazing uh fish that the peach sound has to offer right now uh pretty soon the humpties are going to start to run it's like an older salmon that's heading up river to spawn uh they're only good for smoking but they're they're just fun to catch and there's gonna be a lot of them it's on odd years is when when it's uh they make their run oh gotcha every other or so they yeah. they end up coming in that's super cool that yeah that whole uh the whole west coast has just an amazing bounty uh like you said coming from on, from the sea um here in michigan we've got our own we got the freshwater coast so we get a lot a lot out of that but yeah our one of our the the kings here are and, and not referring to the salmon but just the big the big run is whitetail and mm-hmm. you've guys got a similar thing out there in california i think you guys got the the black tail i know mule deer are out there um and you yourself have worked in the the game processing aspect and mm-hmm. so that's where i wanted to get into really kind of some of the nitty-gritty that as we as we put our animals down and as i as i try to educate people like you know you can let that you want to let your animal sit if you have a bad shot on it. But at the same time, like getting to that animal and getting that thing field dressed is of the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. We don't have a captive vault that we can drop that animal right there. Like that thing's going to run off and we got to make sure we, we track it and find it. Um, when I get that animal and I start to, to field dress it, what, what are some things that I really want to be able to, focus on what are some things that i should have as a checklist that as i approach that animal with my knife what do i want to keep thinking about um what well, one thing is you're not going to know where you're you know where you're we're going to shoot the animal um certainly or where 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 you hit it but if you're if it's still a closed system meaning that nothing is exposed from the throat to the butt um, then you want to keep it that way when you remove the viscera. Um, so you want to make sure that when you are, if you got it up on a game roller, you're able to treat it, um, that you maybe bring some twine with you. So when you bung, uh, when you bung the animal, you could tie that off. Uh, I would do, um, organ harvesting. If you're not used to taking out viscera, uh, and then taking out the liver, to take all those out at the same time uh, and then harvest your liver on the, you know, once it's removed. Um, livers are pretty easy to rinse off. Um, same with hearts and things like that. Um, and then when it comes to the, so you get it all out of the animal. And for deer, it, uh, you don't have to wheeze it where wheezing is opening up the throat and then tying that off. But you could just do a straight cut from when you see the um, what is the weasel from the stomach going into the diaphragm. You could just make a cut right there, and there um, it should be fairly clean. Um, and uh, once you 
get the viscera out, it, you're you're in a good spot at that point. I know a lot of people, uh, they, I, I don't know what the the like the ratio is, but I've processed deer where sometimes they'll still come, you know, uh, hide on, and then I process deer where where they're already skinned out. Um, so I, I guess, I don't know if it's a preference thing or if it's a, a, but if you're able to remove, so this is what I think. If you have the hide on and you're reaching into it, then you have the hide touching your forearms. You have the hide doing that. And, uh, the hide is ultimately, um, a contamination because the animal is, uh, it's outside, outside and exposed to the environment. So there could be fecal material. There could be uh, things that you don't want inside the carcass. So just be conscientious of that. And uh, because I, when I've done game processing, because I have processed a lot of game for people that you, that if I'm processing one person's deer and say I'm processing like 40 deer a day, and one person's is contaminated with fecal material because they didn't do a good uh, sanitary dressing. And I'm boning out and I got 50 pounds of trim. I run that 50 pounds through my grinder and then um, I package their 50 pounds, but there's still going to be residue and everything left for the next person that I process. So you want to uh, process not only like not to your standards of being like, oh, this is good enough for me, but also like, would this be good enough for someone else? That's an and, excellent point, especially for folks that are saying, hey, you know what, I'm taking this into the process or I'm taking this into a professional that's, that's going to work this down for me, that I need to really hold a high standard of cleanliness that what you're saying is use or basically once I get that animal eviscerated out, the organs harvested that I, that I want, that you you would prefer it that I skin the animal at that point and try to keep it as clean as possible. Well, if you're able to skin it bit beforehand, before all that as well, uh, and I, you know, I know when you're out there uh, that you don't want to bring a bunch of stuff with you, but like if if but if um, you're able to remove it and you have some way to to wrap it afterwards and you know keep the the pelt separate than from the the carcass and also keeping it clean but i also understand that there it may be easier to uh keep it clean if you keep the hide uh on until you get to a different place because you know you're out in the woods and you don't know what the conditions could be like there could it could be windy it could be you know there could be dust there could be things falling from the trees, et cetera. So you want to do what's going to be best for the situation. Gotcha. Gotcha. I like that you said that, that it's going to based on what, what you're doing with what's been presented in front of you. Um, I've tried personally to keep the hide on inverse inviscerate. And I keep the hide on just for the fact that I'm holding, I'm putting it up in my garage at that point, I'm hanging mm -hmm. it up and you know, there's, there's dust, like you said, there's dust, there's stuff coming in, stuff coming out. And I just saw that with that membrane holding that, that pelt onto the animal still, 
mm-hmm. you know, I've already rinsed the inside of it. I don't have hair falling into the animal or into the, mm-hmm. the, the cavity that I've pulled that around the sides, but I find I get a better, I don't know, pulling that off just at the time that I'm going to break it down has given me a good result because mm-hmm. it's, it's not been hit by the air or dust and, and everything that's on there. Um, mm-hmm. But again, that's based on the situation given something different. I might want to pull that off as quick as mm-hmm. possible. Yeah. And I know people who uh, like um, my teammate, Brian Mayer would be, uh, he gets to, what is it? Mule, yeah. Mule deer. There's a infestation in Hawaii that he harvests them under USDA inspection. So they go out, go hunting at like, uh, start at like four in the morning and then start, uh, you know, hunting deer. And then they bring them into a USDA facility and start uh, processing them like within like 20 minutes. Oh my goodness. I think you're talking about those Axis deer. Um, Yeah, that's what it is, the Axis. Yeah, they've had, I guess, one of the islands, they're having a problem. You know, here I am raising my hand. I'd love to help. I'd love yeah. to help the problem. <laughs> wow. So they're actually bringing them into a USDA facility. That's Yeah, there's that's a crazy. USDA truck that goes out, like a, a mobile slaughter truck. And yeah, it, the, the USDA inspectors there, you know, you have the, now talk about like um, stress because you're, you're, you're going to be having to take, it, under inspection, you get, you get one shot right and it has to render the animal insensible so um and you're not in you you may not be in a controlled environment where so it's just uh yeah a very unique situation yeah now these are probably sharpshooters using silenced rifles and every advantage under the sun at this point i mean we could call it hunting but yeah it's uh it's shooting fish in a barrel yeah <laughs> and um yeah i he, he would be great to talk to because like i'm sure there's corralling and stuff that happens beforehand but yeah. that would be a, a great discussion mm-hmm. so i've got my animal i've got it down i got it inviscerated out the way that mm-hmm. i'm that i'm going to do that and it, now it's coming time to like i want to prepare that carcass or at the same time you've got 40 deer that have come in and you're preparing them um, in a professional sense, it's one of those things like in the door, out of the door, you're just, you're cooling it down and then getting to work on it. There's not a, there's not an aging that goes on or there's not a, a an extended hang that you're doing on those. Am I right? Uh, so some people would request for like a, a, uh, like a weak hang or something like that. Um, when we would process deer, we would, it, if there was an aging process, it was just because we'd be so far behind that we, and that's what it took. Like you see some of these photos of like uh, game processors in the height of season and they just have coolers full of, of they're just stacked outside the door. Yeah. (laughs) And I've seen, I've, I've seen that and it's not something that's good because a lot of game processors know that this is the time when they're going to make money and they don't want to say no. Um, but what I would truly recommend for any processors out there is when you receive your animal, you sign off on the tag and you get your cut sheets that you develop a way to, um, track it internally 
labeling it uh, that this is such and such animal, whatever method you use. And then um, regardless of the, how the carcass came in, just hit it with a uh, antimicrobial uh, acid like apple cider vinegar would work real good on uh, help reducing a seven log reduction in, uh, you know, things that would cause foodborne illness, um, be it from the, the, and this is for the processor, because you gotta, you could get something in that is immaculate and it had the ultimate um, situation to create a sanitary dressing. But you also got to think that you got to treat it as if it didn't. So, right. And like you were mentioning earlier, the one next to it could have had mm -hmm. little to no care on it. Yeah. So, being able to do that on one of your earlier episodes, and folks, if you're if you're into uh, doing your own butchery either at home or you know part of the business, I would highly suggest following along the Meat Block and Travis's podcast. It is a wealth of information. Uh, there is also hilarious episodes that I, I just love hearing like the, the customer responses and <laughs> the different stories that come off of that. But I gleaned a little bit of info, like, just like you were talking on this, um, where I necessarily wasn't looking at as, as a HACCP, uh, as, a, as a log sheet or anything, but I added into my own, I guess, cleanliness standard that I've put in that yeah, like the, the apple cider vinegar, or I think I had heard your your co-host David talk about uh, he used red wine vinegar just because yeah. he had a bunch of that, and he was using it on lambs. Because mm -hmm. wasn't he doing like a big mobile thing and had a whole bunch of lambs and just basically yeah. spritz them down? Um, that That's an excellent idea, and I think that even a bunch of home uh, DIY butchers could really take a benefit of that because, yeah, we don't have extra carcasses hanging around, but any added bit of sanit sanitariness that we can take is going to be a good thing. Yeah. And you also got to think about like, you know, who's going to be eating this? Is it going to be people who are your, your children are going to be sharing this with your, your parents and things like that. And, um, I, you know, people, people do like, uh, rare things. I do. I love a nice, uh, you know, black and blue steak um i like rare hamburgers uh but i also got to think that like yeah i got to take in consideration the the food safety aspect of it you know in smoking and summer sausage and things like that so when you're when you're prepping your area as a professional for mm -hmm. domestic what tell me the specific cleaner and disinfectant that you're using but at the same time what would be something comparable that i could use as a household item uh so we use like like our our cleaners are this uh like zep foamers that break down like these big things that like just break down fat melt it and then use 180 degree water um and not only will that get rid of, well, in between that you do scrubbing, but that will get rid of um, stuck on fat, but 180 degrees will also sanitize at the same time. And then from there, uh, something that's like real easy that people could get if it's 
uh, if you're using like a thing like bleach, um, you want to make sure you get your mixture right. You know, read. There's going to be mixing instructions. Uh, you also want to allow it time to evaporate because uh, a lot of sanitizers will say like safe to use after X amount of time because you don't want to just all of a sudden put meat on and then you're just then you have sanitizer in with your meat. Uh, another sanitizer that is good is uh, is an iodine uh, sanitizer. And iodine is also organic as well. If people are conscientious of that versus using a more chemically treated um, sanitizer. So. Gotcha. Do you get staining when, when you've used iodine in, uh, in the past or no? It, it's again, there's a, there's a parts per million mix. Oh, okay. So, so like you, you're going to want to, you just don't want to put straight iodine, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's expensive. too. <laughs> and so I would, uh, you know, there, there'll be a parts per million mix and you mix it to that. And then you just, uh, you know, wipe it on. And then you could even rinse with uh, water at that point because you already have a sanitized area. And, and water, you know, your your water source, uh, if you're doing it at your house, is going to be up to standards. If you're doing it, you know, in uh, a game processor, they uh, should get their water tested every uh, two years. When when you've allowed it to hang, um, do you find that you get a better a better product? Like you were mentioning that at some point, like people will, will request, mm-hmm. "Hey, could you let that hang for seven days?" And given the opportunity, as a processor, you said you would do that. And I've I have found my sweet spot given again situationally mm-hmm. seven days. Have you personally found with giving it a week that you have had a better, well, I should say, do you, do you get the chance to enjoy some of the, the venison you process? And have you found that after a couple of days of hanging, there is a little bit better of an eating experience? Or are you saying like, you know what, it's, it's pretty much the same between day one to, to day seven? I, I don't know when it uh, is specific to, to venison. Um but I do know that what you're doing during the hanging process uh, on beef is because that's the one that we um, routinely hang. It's uh, you're trying to denude the proteins, which is going to make it more tender. And also, so like, let's say that like you have like flavor is made up of like 100%, right? So the longer it hangs, the more moisture loss you're going to get. So that 100% say is like uh, 10 to 20% water and that's gone. So now you're left with, you know, that much more flavor that's not being cut by anything else. So if uh, in people like a lot of game is acquired, you know, some people will say that you'll hear people say like, I don't like the, the taste of, of, x y and z and it could be many reasons preparation it could be because it didn't uh you know bleed properly it could have been because of a hanging factor um so the the stuff i've had that my friends have processed a lot of them uh do it like right right away you know they'll they'll do it that night 
and they may if you process stuff when it's still warm too you're going to end up with a higher ph which is going to make it a little bit more tackier um and that's not something you necessarily want um <laughs> unless you're making hot dogs uh, <laughs> good note when making hot dogs high ph <laughs> yeah yeah um and then those levels go down but i yeah i i don't get to try a lot of the stuff because again uh it's 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 other people's so it's so the venison i do get to try is just because of friends and family and things like that gotcha gotcha yeah you get to find some more generous friends and family i think maybe i'm gonna have to send some stuff out to california yeah. for you to try yeah just want to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in it really does mean i would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review uh to go ahead and do that it all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Hunter, or Instagram, at Hunter. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Hunter at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company, who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all live. I experience this too. Like there's a, there's a point where you're going to have blood meat. You're going to have meat loss in the, in the game as opposed to domestic because domestic you captive vault, and then you're making cuts between joints up here at the neck and, and different areas. So you're, you're leaving a lot of the, uh, the blood is going out different cuts in different areas that mm-hmm. renders the carcass clean. Whereas you're going to have some bleeding internally and intermuscularly in, in shot animals, mm-hmm. use a rifle gun or rifle or a shotgun. You're going to have more of that and more of the rule or not that I have found that it's like, you know what, when it's, when it's red and, you know, bones are broken. You don't want to be eating that. That doesn't need to be going through anybody's ground. Give that a fair amount of width on that. Like, you know, really cu- cut that around. I've noticed though in my archery shots, and maybe specifically since I switched to it, I've really sharpened the tar out of these broadheads. They are they are wicked razor sharp, and mm-hmm. the the cut is super clean, and I get a lot of bleeding in the layers, um, in the brisket and between the ribs, is there a way that once I approach that animal, let's say I'm able to get to that animal within the hour, Mm -hmm. how can I help alleviate some of that bleeding intermuscularly? Or is that one of those things like that, that's just going to happen? So, uh, what is happening there is, um, so when we knock animals, you could tell like if there was a bad bleed because you'll get what's called blood spotting, usually in the the skirt steak and in the hams. Um, and that's just like, it just looks like a little pepper, like it just didn't drain fully. Um, and, and the skirt steaks, you'll get them on lambs and pigs, you'll get them, uh, I mean, it's on lambs, you'll get them in the skirt steaks and pigs, you'll get them in the hams. Um, and 
when so gravity really really helps with that but when you have something going through the ribs especially on something that's lean like a deer where it it's going to get where, where the muscles are easily separated and it starts getting stuck in the membrane um it, it, it's going to be difficult i know a lot of people take if they're depending how much is it is will take that portion of their meat and soak it in a, like a brine, like a salt water to help draw out some of the um, extra blood uh, and before they process it. Um, I don't know if that's a common thing. I just know some people do that. It, not to all of it, but just to that area. And gravity really helps. And if you're in, if rig is not set in yet, you could like move uh, the legs, um, the front legs up and down to help kind of like get more out of the um the neck area a lot of people don't like uh you know if you're saving the cape you you necessarily don't want to um you know do a jugular cut <laughs> so you yeah the, it, it's again on the situation but as soon as you get get to a point where you can uh wash liber liberally with water um at two inches because that will also help uh, reduce uh, food contaminants and then also just work uh, the front legs to try to get as much out and use gravity to your advantage gotcha no those are i think three tips i can really take is really thoroughly rinse it um yeah maybe once i've pulled off once i've broken it down um being able to maybe add a little bit of a i've heard the brine the brine idea um especially with like a liver because it's still full of full of blood when you do pull it out and that just helps take out some of that iron taste that you get from that. So maybe that might be a good one. Um, cause what I'll try to do is that the ribs has, on venison has just kind of been my white whale. Like mm -hmm. I, you try to figure out the best use of that cut and being so lean and so worked it, it's difficult because there is a lot of that really, like that tallow and that really thick fat that's on there. That's, that's not very pleasing. So trying to make that palatable has always, always been a task and each rib is different depending on what animal I get. Either mm -hmm. I get one and I get a lot of this blood or I, you know, get zero blood loss in that because somehow it, it ended up draining out. So it's a variable that, yeah, I come across once in a while, but maybe doing like what you're saying, get to it. If I do get to it quick, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> do the mamba with the the front side just to keep yeah. those things moving and and push as much out yeah one of the last things uh we do is with uh beef is when we get it on the rail and it's all ready to be before we start rinsing we push the front leg all the way up and then like you know two cups of blood just fall right out of it oh my goodness that it's it's funny to think like you know i can you can handle a, a deer and not very long. Um, I've done my own. I, I guess I haven't gone for speed. I, but I can do one in a day where, or, you know, an afternoon that I'm able to, to break one down and, and get it vacked up and in a way. Um, I had the opportunity to, to purchase a beef quarter, the, the hind quarter. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, I had it in myself, like, I know better. I'm going to cut this thing. Holy smokes. That filled the back of my truck. I got a short bed uh, Silverado. And mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> the sirloin was touching the one end and the hoof was going all the way to the other. 
what a comparison on on these animals when you guys are breaking down a beef it is a it is a task it is literally you're breaking the animal but the animal i think is breaking you at the same yeah. time just with its weight um when you're when you're breaking a beef on a rail like that are you you're using gravity as much as you can um when when you're breaking that animal going from a whole carcass that would overwhelm someone's thinking on on how much you know steaks and uh roasts and 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 all that breaking it down into primals or excuse me quarters and then into primals kind of just helps block things in your mind mm-hmm. how are you breaking a beef on a rail like specifically like or maybe that's different for lamb like do you have a rib count that you cut to have your front shoulders versus your your saddle and mm-hmm. Maybe we could apply that even into our own venison. What are some of those guidelines that maybe as you're breaking down from whole carcass to quarters, maybe we should start looking at? Okay. So I could, so beef, uh, you, you do your quarter break at, uh, between, what is it? Uh, 12 and 13 rib. The 13th rib is your last rib. It's like a ghost rib. Sometimes there'll be a floater up there. So you have a whole side of beef. You, you're you're pretty safe by just finding the last rib and leaving that on the loin. Um, and then you break that down. Then you have a quarter. Um, and to separate your your chuck is going to have five bones because you want to make sure that you have seven bones on your ribeye because the definition of like a, a 107 a export of seven bones and then um you're gonna there's half a dozen ways to break a b4 quarter two gotcha the the easiest way is to count up your ribs and then break the the chuck and the brisket and forearm all off as one piece and then so your ribeye still has its short ribs on it and then you either using a handsaw or a bandsaw to then take your take your chuck and uh forearm and cut it into three pieces one would be your five bone chuck with the flat iron and mock tender uh still attached to it and then the other would be your cross plate still attached to your uh you know your what people call the cross rib or your shoulder clod and then the other is going to be a forearm with the brisket still attached and then that'll make it into more manageable pieces. Gotcha. Folks, you can't see this, like, but we're, we're on zoom and I'm talking with Travis and Travis is like in, I'm watching you and it's like, you're looking at the, the animal right here as you've done that <laughs> description. It, it's like a beautiful mind sort of thing. Like yeah. You're rotating that around. And some of the terminology I think is, is, is going to be different. Granted, you're going from, you know, a master butcher here in yourself and then trying to talk to simpletons over on our side, you know, oh. like, Oh, we got, we got this dead animal. Now what? But I think you made a really good, like talking about it, being able to like get that last rib, make that separation so that now you've got your hindquarters and then to complete your saddle, you wanted to have seven ribs. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's necessarily the same between venison and, uh, or, or like a white tail versus a beef, but mm-hmm. getting majority of your rib section extending out the amount of 
ribeye that you're going to be able to take and then leaving like a five up front um yeah you know on a venison it might be four we might have to take a look at that further but anyway like looking at that and keeping five up front for your chuck um no that's a great idea because i think that that's probably what the hardest things for hunters right now is that we don't have a place to start we just have this animal laying there Mm -hmm. and i know even my buddies that you know, they're like, Nick, come over and cut up my deer because I, I don't even know where to begin. And as soon as you break it up into that, you're like, oh, I just have to worry about one leg. I don't have to worry about all the legs. Yeah. I think all of a sudden there's just this this air let out of the room like, oh, this is manageable. I can understand what's going on here. Yeah. And there's also like, uh, so with like lamb, you know, it's similar and uh, can be similar in size. You would, you know, separate your shoulder and then you would take your saddle with your flap still on it and and then your um and then you would leave your sirloins on your legs and but i also know that like when i when i process deer for people a lot of times it was tenderloins back straps and then uh steaks out of the hinds and then the rest was grind um and i also know too that depending on where you're located and, and things like that, you're going to have to deal with, uh, what is it? Uh, chronic wasting disease. Mm-hmm. That's a, gonna, it's here in Michigan. I tell you what, it's a problem. Yeah. So you're, there's going to be rules about, uh, what bones you could keep in, in, uh, the, you know, depending on the, the game processor and depending on where you're located. So. Gotcha. I, in the research that I've done, it's really with the CWD, um, skull and spine is really like mm-hmm. the get that out. You know, that's the first thing you're not, you're not going to mess with that. And, um, but lo- long bones, you're, you're fairly safe. The further you get away from the spinal mm-hmm. column, I think that's where they've really kind of said like, well, it's, it's safer on this side. Generally, if I have the ability to test my animal, uh, mm-hmm. and know that, you know, if it's, if it's contaminated with CWD or not, that's always the, the ultimate green light there at that point. It's like, kind of like hold off using the bones until, until I yeah. figure out what this test says. And then also that being said, if it is, cause it's something that I, uh, I don't know that much about if it is something that lives in or is active in the, the spinal column or the spinal cord, then you probably don't want to, uh, split your animals or split those cuts along those things that you will want to bone out your saddle, leaving the vertebral column intact. You may want to do a rail break versus breaking through the vertebral column where you're doing that, you know, pulling, uh, separating your shoulders at that, at that joint. Um, and then breaking those down. And then, um, I used to do it where I could bone out, one leg keeping the back strap and then getting all the meat all the way down to the neck wow in like like two minutes (laughs) (laughs) two minutes one side though two minutes one side oh geez come on four minutes i gotta wait yeah as a processor do you uh do you purposely keep one back strap because i've heard that too that dan the, the the butcher kept some of my meat like I, I swear that deer was 200 pounds and they handed me the back this 20 pound box. 
Yeah, that's the thing that people are always like. It's the, one of the frustrating things about being a processor. Uh, one, we if we wanted to keep meat, we we could certainly not get caught for it. Two, that like <laughs> uh, people don't understand yieldage, and I have no problem like because I've had to deal with it in the past. Of like, you know, people are more than. Uh, I certainly don't want to work in a fishbowl, but if people think something's happening, then stand there and watch me. Uh, and then, like, but I'll also do yield tests and be like, this is how much bones you have. This is how much meat you have. This is how much, uh, you know, hair I felt like I wanted to trim off, which meant you lost this much meat or something like that. Or like, oh, you wanted me to hang it for two weeks. All right. This is the percentage of the loss. You know, um, if if you have access to a hanging scale, then uh just mark those numbers down because i i used to i used to hang carcasses like whole beef carcasses that i would hang for three weeks and then i'd weigh them again to see what my loss was and factor that into my cost analysis so um and if you're processing and you have a you know like a cool bot um room that you're cutting in and you have a access to a scale just know that uh just just see what it is after you you hang it for a week or two because it's just also good to know and things like that and and also if you're um say you're making a uh like a dried product out of it uh there's formulas with moisture loss with uh weight that will tell you if it's food safe or not you got to have a certain amount of water loss at that point for it to even yeah. be safe yeah so there there's it's just fun yeah and i think it's just complete uh just being naive at that point you know they they thought they had a bigger deer than that they're not impressed with with what they got back where um i've I've talked to a local guy and he said well first off that wasn't a big deer and uh number two we can go like just like you said let's go weigh the other stuff and Mm. i'm more than happy to to walk you through cutting it you know if you want to do it yourself by all means because you're going to be shocked with how much you're actually getting off of that animal at that point yeah of, like i see what i was just gonna say out of curiosity when you were hanging those those beef for three week um what uh what what poundage of of moisture were you lo- losing off those just out of curiosity uh 12 off of a thousand pounds Jeez, so we're, we're talking like 100 pounds of just water yeah and and the cooler and i could see the water because i'd empty out the uh, <laughs> dehumidifier every day because it was a uh, is you know just uh when you're hanging something that long you want to create an environment that stuff can't grow in because you don't want to end up with like a fuzzy mold you want to end up with a bark um yeah so it, it was yeah that that dehumidifier i'd have to empty out it every day until i rigged it so it just drained out but yeah i i hear it from guys that are getting into to cutting and they're like you know what i'm i'm trying to reduce the amount of grind um i want to get more whole cuts i want to get more uh primals roasts i want to be able to do more like that and have less grind or at the point where i'm i'm cleaning a lot of meat off the bone um when when i'm I guess I'm when you cut a deer or you cut a venison or even like when you cut a beef, you're going to cut it to the way that you want to eat. You know, if you're, if you've got the time to roast things like, yeah, having more roasts, but I feel like 
some some folks are fu- starting to find that like ground is a failure like i've failed this animal and i know i personally had this this idea um after my first animal that i shot not knowing just being again naive but i was going to do this myself that mm-hmm. i saw a large amount go to grind that i feel like i failed the animal in in breaking it down but grinding isn't a failure at this point you're you're get you're gleaning as much off that animal as possible um when you're when you're making venison ground um in your process have you have you mixed it or have you been traditionally like hey we're just going to do straight venison on through uh depending on the what the the customer wants right so gr- grinding and added value like for example like hot dogs or or, or something like that it, or in, in venison, it would be uh, summer sausage. Well, it, it would allow you to do whole carcass utilization, which is actually sustainability, um, and in ensuring that, that you know that the animal nothing went to waste. Um, so, if but if if a person approaches me and it's like, I want, could you add this pork fat to my venison uh, sausage, or could you add this beef fat? Um, and so right now where I'm working, we take, uh, we get a real fatty beef, we'll harvest and make five pound bags for it because we know in, in the, uh, in a month from now, people are going to start showing up and just buying those bags of fat off of us. And we know why. Um, <laughs> so like, uh, there's a lot of requests for that. Um, and I don't, I don't see grind as a failure i see it because like for me people are like what's your favorite cut of meat and i always say ground beef because it's so versatile you could have a bolognese you could have a hamburger you could have tacos you could have you know so many things that uh you know it's it's when you mess up a ribeye you know you messed up a ribeye but when you messed up a chili like you, you just add more sriracha <laughs> to it um so uh, but also another thing too is if you want to get your chuck roll or that 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 shoulder roll out of an animal, you could always make cuts smaller. You know, if if you think you're going to be doing more roasting, you think you're going to be doing more uh, or grilling, and that's not the case, and you're like, well, maybe I will just have some some ground. You could always take that uh, cut and grind it later. Uh, after your your freezer you could also um you know take that that uh shoulder roll and then cut a, a couple shoulder steaks out of it uh d- depending so if if it is a fear that um you know you could just leave them bigger i like that idea i like that idea and i i appreciate what you're saying too is like this is this is value added this is whole uh animal use at this point that grinding like as you're practicing and you mess up a cut at the point of it being raw yeah just put it to the grind pile you're going to have another opportunity the next year you get or next year when when you bring another animal down like it's not the end all be all but at the same time like how versatile a, a ground can be that like you said million pieces of cuts that mm-hmm. or million uh dishes that you can make off of just one one thing yeah. Um, I think that's a really powerful statement that I think yeah, keeps people out of doing their own butchery in the the wild game sense or even venison senses because I think 
folks are scared to to make or to yeah to make more ground yeah and, and there was some something there that I, I don't know i'll come to me later about, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Perf- uh, uh, profound profound dreams. yes yeah. i drank too much <laughs> last night so. <laughs> well hey travis we have come down to our crescendo of our show this is the two dish breakdown Okay. This is where I'm going to give you two scenarios. And first one is, it's more of a softball. This is a slow pitch softball league at that point. Uh, but the next one, I do add some heat to it. It's going to make you think okay. a little bit, a little bit harder. Um, but for the first one, you've already used ground. So I'm going to pull ground off the table. Oh, no. Because um, I'm not going to ask your favorite. Mm-hmm. What I am going to ask is what is, and you can go, you can go domestic on this. You can go mm-hmm. any, any animal that you're looking for. What is an obscure cut of meat that you enjoy? And then tell me how you would prepare it. Is it a braise, a quick grill, a roast, however that's going to be done? Hmm. See, that's the thing with like obscure, because like I, I got to, think about it from the consumer standpoint not from my standpoint very true everything is commonplace <laughs> for yeah. you uh because I, I i'll just say hanger steak uh i hear people say like they can never get it um and i got i was able to put your uh purchase two from a farmer this week because i cut them um, <laughs> and uh what i like to do with those is just it real simple is just seam it out so you have two portions get that big uh, piece of sinew or grizzle out of there and then uh season it like a you would um like fajitas and then just grill them on a flat top and then it makes super good carne asada nice Um, now where exactly is the hanger steak for for folks that are that are struggling to figure out where that would be on a beef where mm -hmm. where am i where am i going to find that you're going to find it on the spine, hanging off just below the tenderloin, connecting to the skirt stakes, and it is uh, the diaphragm. There's a It splits off into two pieces, and that's where your digestive system and your respiratory system, or, the, and, or your, or no, not your, yeah, cardiovascular system, uh, pumps the blood to the lower extremities, and your... Uh, the throat connects to the stomach. So oh, it, gotcha. it is the separation. It is the diaphragm that separates the, the lung cavity from the stomach cavity. And I know there's a bunch of hunters that have touched and cut around that piece and probably thrown it away. This might be added value right here that we can get out of our venison, depending on, uh, you know, shot placement, of course. Yeah. On a venison, it'll be like that big and on a beef, they're like that big. Yeah. Great, great for a podcast giving visual references. <laughs> so, folks, yes, this big for that, and this big for the beef. Um, so, yeah, you're just doing a quick grill on either side, just adding some color, just adding a sear to it, mm-hmm. and then cut, 
cross grain, I'm assuming on that. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Folks, pull out your hangers, pull out your Venny hangers. They're small, but I'm I'm telling you, they're probably super delicious. Yeah, and there's like a bunch of stuff in your uh flaps that you can get off your saddle. You know, you can get your what would be comparable to your uh there's a good there's a bunch of good flat flat meat in there. Um and then if you want to, you know, have bone in cuts for stocks and stuff, use the four shanks and the hind shanks. So Oh yeah. That would if if I had to pull my favorite cut off uh off a of, off a of deer, I've and I've said this in other episodes too, like the shank is probably my favorite. Just mm-hmm. like the grind, you can stew that stuff down and then it can go, like you said, tacos, burritos, you name it, whatever. Asobuco for fancy. You can do anything you want and it's just so flavorful. So yeah, I really enjoy enjoy the shank. Yeah. This one, this is going to come with some more weight because mm-hmm. it's a date night. Mm-hmm. Kids gone, the how you know it's just you and the wife, and you you were on a date night, but you happen to have you happen to be cooking. You're you're doing a date inside pandemic. Mm-hmm. Let's let's call it that. Okay. You have to cook inside. You have at your disposal a a piece of wild game. What are you gonna make for your date mm-hmm. to make this just go just right? land animals or you i'm saying wild can't be domestic so if it comes out of the sea i'll allow it mm-hmm. okay because that's easy um <laughs> I, i'm making my wife's favorite which is uh salmon uh, uh uh you know we get kings running out here um we get uh we have it has you know about a hundred pounds of salmon in it um so it, it yeah it would just be uh real easy um salt pepper olive oil lemon uh baked uh, baked or grilled skin on skin down um and then it would be the whole fillet with uh asparagus um maybe a, uh on the side a a uh, maybe a vinaigrette salad and some some homemade tartar sauce that I would have to look up the recipe every time. So, <laughs> Hey, if it's a homemade tartar sauce, that's worth writing down and then referencing every yeah. time. Um, and then j- just something like that. And then, you know, depending on, on the, the weather will uh, eat on the, on, on the deck or um, yeah. And then my wife would be like, just surprised that I cooked. <laughs> that alone sets sets the mood right there. Yeah. Like, holy smokes! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely. Uh, that would be what I would do for. Oh, I'm getting a little interference here. Hold on. I think we got a little lag. He's back. Okay. 
We lost you there for a second. All right. You were you were saying that was what you would make for her. Now, were you saying what you were going to make for yourself? That'd be the same thing, but halibut. So, I gotcha. I just like I like halibut a lot more than salmon. Um, now that's a whiter, flakier flesh. Am I right? Yeah, and that I would actually bake in, uh, like almost with like a half stick of butter wrapped in parchment paper. And then, I don't think you can go wrong with anything if you're adding a stick of butter <laughs> and wrapping yeah. it in parchment paper. Yeah, and then uh, other other game I, I like I like um, you know duck if it's done you know correctly. So <laughs> um, that I've I've done. So yeah. Well, awesome. Those are mm, excellent choices there on that. You hit you hit a home run on yeah. that date. I think it, I think it went really well. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Travis, this has been a great hour. I don't want to take a ton of your time. Um, where can where can my listeners jump over and find more what what you're doing and more about uh, the Meat Block Podcast? Where can where can f- folks really dive in deep into uh, the pro- or the uh, the content you're throwing out? So at American Butcher on TikTok and Instagram, if you like watching videos of me talking to myself uh and it's really weird i don't get the people enjoy it (laughs) and then um the meat block podcast um we have an instagram we don't utilize it as much as we should but our podcast with 174 episodes and 140 something five-star reviews can be found uh, on anywhere you could download podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google Play, Apple, um, Spreaker, Stitcher, all those. Um, and a lot of people start in chronological order. Uh, we do everything from interviews to talking about just mental health to talking to everything. So, um, it, with over 170 episodes, we still managed to come up with new ways to at least entertain ourselves so <laughs> well i i give it a four star or excuse me i give it a five star i was gonna say i, was like, I thought it was a four sale scale no no five star um <laughs> i i really do enjoy it and it does it gets you thinking about just the process that you're doing as a as a farm kid who grew up doing that like i i i resonate with it and at the same time like being um being a sportsman and wanting to get the most out of my game like this is just ideas that go each episode, I find a new little piece of information that I can apply into what I'm doing in my own own setup. So, bravo. Keep it going. And, uh, yeah, we'll send people over there. All right. Awesome. Thank you. So, that hold on. Fun. Yeah. Hold on just a second, Travis. I'm going to let the folks out, out here go. Um, folks, we are in that crunch time. If you haven't finished your, sighting in your shotgun or your rifle, this is the time to do it. If uh, you still need to get your layout blinds for waterfowl set up, this is also the time to do it. Uh, But in all that preparation, don't forget to think about after the shot. Have your gut bag ready to go. And in that gut bag better be a knife. And I hope that that knife is shuffling.